And I'm Beth Bennett. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, March 21st. Tony and her husband Alex Wakeford wrote Your Your Baby's Microbiome, a report of the intricate dance between mother and unborn child focused around the transfer of maternal biome at birth. with a look at some of the recent news in science. The Van Allen radiation belts are regions above the Earth where the magnetic field has trapped energetic particles. The trapped electrons have energies as high as millions of electron volts, enough energy to damage satellites. Ever since the belts were discovered in 1958, scientists have puzzled over what mechanisms create the high energies of these trapped particles. A new article in the Journal of Geophysical Research has a new explanation. Lightning from the ground helps charge up the trapped electrons. Lightning produces plasma waves, known as whistlers, because of distinctive whistling sound that they create in the radio frequencies. New new research shows that when lightning produces plasma waves in the magnetosphere, an unstable but efficient energy pathway is created, allowing the waves to gain energy as they spiral through electric and magnetic fields. The waves then transfer energy into existing higher-energy electrons, pumping up the energetic electrons until they reach destructive levels. Essentially, plasma waves mediate the transfer of energy from the Earth to the trapped electrons in the Van Allen belts. As the amount of atmospheric carbon dioxide continues to rise, scientists are searching for new techniques to remove the carbon from the atmosphere. Past research has focused on the ocean's ability to soak up carbon, but recently researchers have begun to look at how the ocean shores may help absorb atmospheric carbon. In a recent paper in Frontiers in Ecology and the Environment, scientists have analyzed the many ways that marine ecosystems can capture carbon, helping to minimize the levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. In particular, they found that coastal mangroves, seagrasses, and tidal marshes effectively store carbon for long periods of time. Generally, plants absorb carbon from the atmosphere, storing it in leaves, roots, and branches. On land, this carbon is rapidly released when those same leaves, roots, and branches die and break down. In the coastal waters, however, this debris falls into the saltwater, settling to the bottom of the shallow waters. There, the saltwater inhibits the breakdown of the plant debris, trapping the plant material and carbon in the soil. The carbon collects in the soil and can be found up to three meters deep. Carbon remains trapped in the coastal soils for hundreds of years, making one of the most important natural mechanisms for the sequestration of atmospheric carbon. This study shows that coastal regions are a critical part of controlling the increase of atmospheric carbon. The study also shows that there's great value in protecting and nurturing our coastal environments. Scientists have identified six regions, called ocean hotspots, where large numbers of different species live together, including fish, marine mammals, and seabirds. These hotspots are in the southern hemisphere and include temperate and tropical regions of the Atlantic Ocean, Indian Ocean, and Pacific Ocean. The journal called Science Advances recently published a new detailed analysis of these ocean hotspots including an inventory of over 2,000 species of fish, seabirds, marine mammals, and even tiny plankton. 
The scientists also found evidence that global warming and industrial fishing are threatening the population of these ocean hotspots. Due to global warming, these ocean hotspots have experienced increasing temperatures, slowing ocean currents, and decreasing production of biomass as food for the marine life. These regions are also correspond to regions with high levels of industrial fishing. The combination of global warming and heavy industrial fishing threatens the marine populations and diversity in the ocean hotspots. The new research both identifies this threat and provides new analysis that can be used to develop policies that will protect marine biodiversity from global warming and overfishing. The opportunity for citizens to participate in scientific research increases every year. The Internet and the lower cost of basic research tools like computers has enabled this expansion of citizen science. A new public television series called The Crowd and the Cloud, that website is crowdandcloud.org, will follow people around the world as they participate in these new citizen science projects. The series, hosted by CU Boulder's Walid Abdelati, shows how anyone can participate. The show premieres in early April, but you can see a sneak peek of the new show tonight at 6.30 p.m. in the series atrium on the CU campus. That's C-I-R-E-S, atrium. After the screening, the producers and the host of the show will discuss the citizen science movement with a panel of citizen science leaders from across Colorado. To learn more about this event, go to crowdandcloud.org. along with her husband, Alex Wakeford, recently released their book on your baby's microbiome. So, Tony, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into this subject of the microbiome and and the baby? Uh, Thank you so much for having me on on your show. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about the microbiome. It's one of my, well, one of my passions, as it turns out. Okay, so I didn't, um, I'm a filmmaker I'm a documentary filmmaker and um 10 years ago I I was, I was back then I was I thought I was on the way to Hollywood I just made my first I first I just directed my first feature film and it was a horror film and uh, it got picked up by a Hollywood studio and I thought I was off to Hollywood um and then I found out I was pregnant which is very happily and uh, I had a baby and um during the run-up to having a baby um I I wrote a birth plan and it was all about candles and soft music and natural birth with no interventions and in the event I ended up having an emergency c-section and I struggled to breastfeed and um, so I supplemented with formula and after the birth um, I had a a whole load of questions about what happened what what did I do what did I not do so as a filmmaker I thought right I'm going to start making films about childbirth and uh so i made a film about doulas and then i made a film about human rights and childbirth and in the process of making those films um i became aware of the science of childbirth and particularly the 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 amazing science that that's coming out at the moment all about the kind of the microbiome and the importance of what happens during pregnancy birth and breastfeeding for for a baby's lifelong health and and it, it's just like this 
doors being opened for me to this this amazing world of science. And I so, want to interject, sorry for interrupting, I just want to interject that there's a very cool thing about your book that you found a lot of really great experts to interview with your questions and you provided links to their research. And I think that's a really good thing that you did. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, that's the whole point. So we made the film and then, then like a film's only paint in broad brushstrokes. And what we wanted to do is to unleash the 95% of the of the interviews with experts that we'd, we'd film for the documentary um, and unleash them in, in the book. And and that's the whole point. I mean, my, I, I feel really passionate that the science of the microbiome and particularly about the baby's microbiome is really important, not just for the baby's lifelong health, but actually potentially for future generations. But the, at the moment, this science is 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 kind of restrained to the ivory towers of academia. There's hundreds of papers being written about it, but those papers are not being translated to the general general public and to expectant mothers. And so that's what we are trying to do with the with the book is to make to take this um, otherwise non-accessible information and to make it accessible and easy to understand for everybody. So for whether that's expectant parents or for grandparents. Um, and just kind of unleashing it, really, because it's a it's it's really powerful science that has the potential to change the health of future generations. And that's exactly what we try to do on our show. We try to make science accessible to our listeners. And people that listen routinely to our show know that we love the microbiome on this show. And we've had a lot of interviews with people on the microbiome. But for people unfamiliar with it, Tony, can you talk a little bit about what the microbiome is, say, in you and me, what it is, um, particularly our gut microbiome and what it does for us? Okay. So if you, if you, Okay, so you'll you'll know that your body is made of trillions of human cells. And working in conjunction with your trillions of human cells are trillions of microorganisms. And that's bacteria, that's fungi, that's protozoa, that's archaea. Um, So it's all different types of microbes in your body. And that's how it is every day of of your life. That's how you're supposed to be. We've evolved over hundreds of generations to to grow up and develop with bacteria and okay so and the way we've we've evolved is that the bacteria and the fungi and fungi and the other microorganisms in our body they help keep us healthy so they help with um digestion in our gut so everyone knows about the kind of the good the good bacteria in your gut um, they help with our immune system. They help with metabolism. All these, all these different elements of our body, are, are helped by the bacteria in our body. So we have these trillions of bacteria, um, and it's mostly bacteria. I mean, there's all these other microorganisms and fungi and, and, and archaea and so on. But they're living inside us, and they're living on us, and they're invisible. And we don't, you know, it's only because of um, next generation sequencing. So that's the the sort of the really powerful ways to to look at the the microbes and the microorganisms and look at their DNA. So now we're working out, or scientists are working out, what their functions are and how they are so integral to human health. Okay, I'll stop there. (laughs) Okay, from what I've gathered talking to people about the microbiome, our our individual microbiomes are 
somewhat flexible. In other words, they change a little bit day to day, but mostly they're pretty fixed. And from reading your book, I realized that that initial starting point begins with our birth. And whatever our experience, our birth experience is in terms of, is it a vaginal birth? Is it a cesarean birth? The microbes we're exposed to are kind of the seed colony for what we get. So how... How do how does the mother end up with what she has at birth? I mean, you talked a little bit about how during pregnancy the microbiome changes. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Okay, so everybody's microbiome is different because it, it depends on the exposures you, or the, the microbes you've been exposed to. And the kind of core period is, is in the first thousand days, so from conception all the way to age two or three. Um, and and that's the and that's the time when when your your bacteria that you're exposed to bacteria and they they form your microbiome. So okay, so in the womb when you're developing, you develop in a near sterile environment. There might be, I mean that's what scientists are trying to work out at the moment. There might be some exposure to um, to microbes in the placenta or from the womb or from the amniotic fluids, but mostly it's a, it's a near sterile environment, which means that. The baby's not really exposed to bacteria, and it's only when the um, the mother's waters break, so the the amniotic um, membranes they, when they rupture, which usually happens during during labour, that's the the baby's first main exposure to microbes. That's the main seeding event for founding the baby's microbiome, and that's going to um, and those first microbes the baby is exposed to, they help. See, um, they help train the, the baby's immune system, um, and that's why it's so important. That's why this this period from 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 well, from conception really to to age two or three, because with the seeding of the baby's microbiome and all those and all those other exposures in the first one, two, three years, that's what trains the immune system, and that only happens once in your life, um, and that tells your your immune system. Um, educates it into to knowing what's friend and what's foe. And if it's educated incorrectly, that means you might be more likely to be to, um, to have, um, well, you're, you're more likely to have um, asthma or type 1 diabetes or obesity. Um, so these, these immune-related uh, conditions later in life. So it's, it's just really important that that, that period of time that, that scientists are, are discovering between pregnancy, birth and, you know, early infancy for establishing the microbiome in the in the optimal way. Yeah, it's quite a remarkable event. And it's amazing to think that this happens once. This is our chance to get a leg up, as it were, in the world. But you also talk about how if a woman does have a cesarean, the baby can still be exposed to those seeding microbes that well, maybe we should back up and talk about how that seeding takes place. Like once the water breaks, then where do the bacteria come from and how does the baby get exposed to them? It's, it's an amazing process. It's, a, it's, it's absolutely mind-bending mind when, you, when, you, when you realize, okay, so in the, in the, um, in the mother's vagina, um, she'll have a, um, a, a dominance of um, a type of bacteria called lactobacillus. And they're lactic acid bacteria, which are related to breast milk. So as soon as the, the amniotic fluids, as, as soon as the amniotic 
membranes rupture. So as the waters break and the baby's exposed to the, the mother's bacteria in the birth canal. That's, so that means that the, the baby's exposed to the lactobacillus bacteria in the birth canal. And that's, and that's the main seeding event for founding the baby's microbiome. And then the baby's also going to be exposed to um, gut microbes from contact with the mother's fecal matter. And that's a good thing. That's a brilliant thing. Birth is supposed to be messy. The baby is supposed to come into contact with the mother's vaginal secretions, put it that way, and also her, her, the mother's poo. That's, and it that's is all... messy. It's really messy. <laughs> and that's how it's supposed to be. And it's beautiful because that means that the baby's going to be exposed to the mother's gut microbes. So it's a combination of the mother's vaginal microbes, the mother's gut microbes, and also her skin microbes from skin to skin and breastfeeding. Um, and the, the microbes are in the mother's breast milk. And that's okay. So, so, you, so the baby receives all those microbes during the birth process. And then this is the bit that really... Oh, it just makes me so excited that we've evolved for the, the for the special food that feeds those microbes to be present in breast milk. So that is the, so amazing. So, that is truly so, amazing. So that this thing called um, human milk oligosaccharides, and they're special sugars that are indigestible by the baby. So the baby can't eat them. But the microbes within the the bacteria that have just arrived from the mother. So the so the the mother's so the bacteria that's come from the mother's um, uh, birth canal and through from her fecal matter, her gut microbes, they 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 are they are hung they arrive in the baby's gut and they're hungry, and so the first food they're supposed to get are, is from um, breast milk and there's these special sugars within the breast milk that feed those microbes, and that helps them the, these these good bacteria, the kind of good guys that come from the mother, helps them multiply quickly and they colonize the, the baby's gut, and which means they crowd out any pathogens. They crowd out any bad bacteria. Um, and, that, and this all helps with the sort of immune training. So it's this intricate, exquisite process where the, the, the baby receives the, the, the right microbes from the mother at the right time, and then the breast milk so exclusive breastfeeding helps feed those right microbes in order to enable them to to multiply in number, and it, oh, it just blows my mind. It, I, and that that sense of a complete seed and feed process, and that sets the the child's health for the rest of its life. And another really mind blowing phenomenon that you talk about too is that those initial colonizers. The lactobacilli, as you said, they are what are called facultative anaerobes, which means they can use oxygen or not, depending on whether it's present. So if there is some in the baby's gut, they'll use it up, and then they'll go on really happy without it. But they clear the way for the next batch of microbes that don't like oxygen. And I think oh. that's really a, an amazing kind of successional ecology of the gut. You've just you've just expressed it absolutely perfectly. That's it. It's it's all about waves of microbes. Of certain microbes are supposed to arrive in a certain order at a certain time. So the first bacteria is supposed to be the the lactobacillus from the from the birth canal, and then the next wave, and and they eat they they consume all all the oxygen, which sets the conditions for the for the bacteria 
which um, don't want any oxygen around. So the next wave, um, I mean, depending kind of what the exposures are, but and if the if the baby does have, is exposed to the mother's gut bacteria, but there's um, like bifidobacterium, which is another um, lactic lactic acid bacteria, and a whole, and and they and they're early colonizers, um, and there's a particular species which is bifidobacterium. Um, Longan subspecies infantis, <laughs> which scientists have identified, um, and they're like they're brilliant at, at colonizing. So, um, and they set the conditions for the next set of, of of bacteria to arrive, and the whole thing is 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 set up so certain bacteria to arrive at a certain time, um, at a, in a certain order, to to set the conditions for the next set of of bacteria to arrive, and this all helps with immune training. And for and women. Sorry, and so for women that have cesareans, you you briefly mention that, well, actually, it's not brief. You talk about it a fair amount in your book, but um, you allude to the fact that it, this is in its infancy, pardon the pun, of um, transition between not doing anything for babies born by cesarean to a world where we will now be able to um, seed the babies with the mother's bacteria. What kind of progress is being made on that? So at the moment, the, um, okay, so I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. So that those babies born by C-section, because they're not, they're extracted through the, the mum's abdomen as opposed to coming out of the vagina, um, which means that the, the baby may not be exposed to the full set of the mother's vaginal microbes because the baby, depending whether the mother's in labour or not, the baby might not have actually entered the birth canal. Um, and also, so the the amniotic membranes are still wrapped around the baby, and it's only during surgery that those membranes are opened. So the baby's not likely to be exposed to the mother's vaginal microbes and not likely to be exposed to the mother's gut microbes. Um, and also, the baby's not likely to be exposed to the same stresses, pressures, um, and hormones that are associated with vaginal birth. Okay, so... But there's things you can do. So um, I had an emergency C-section and, and I absolutely wish I knew this nine years ago when I had my baby. But there's just there's there's things that you can do. So um, skin to skin contact with the mother um, in the operating theatre. Um, I mean, it's 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 getting quite common here in the UK. I don't know about, you know, in the, in the United States, but definitely there's a kind of a, a, a mother friendly cesarean technique where the baby's um, taken out from from the abdomen um, and then placed immediately skin to skin um, on the mother in the operating theater the screens lowered the the um, uh, everything's kind of put put so that the mother can have this immediate skin to skin contact to establish breastfeeding straight away so that's the first thing skin to skin contact and um, support for exclusive breastfeeding for, for cesareans. And then there's this research into swab seeding. So at the moment, it's, it's not a medical procedure, it's just a research study. So Dr. Maria Gloria Dominguez-Bello from New York University um, is researching the potential benefits of exposing the baby to the mother's vaginal microbes. So to exposing a, a baby born by C-section to those microbes the baby would have received if the baby had been born by born being born vaginally so it so it involves taking a swab um, a sterile swab inserting it into the mum's vagina an hour before the C-section then taking the swab 
um, after the baby's um, been delivered and then wiping the swab over the baby's mouth, over the baby's face, over the baby's body. And the initial results are indicating that this partially restores the baby's microbiome to be as it would have been if, if vaginally born. I should stress there's, there's, um, this is still research. It's not a me recognized medical procedure. And there's definitely um, clear um, clinical protocols, things like the mother's vagina has to be... Um, uh, free from any pathogens so can't have any gbs or can't be um, hiv positive or or any other potential pathogens and also the at the moment the research is only being done into elective c-sections and also for low-risk mums um, but potentially this could be a way to help restore the baby's microbiome to be as it would have been um, or partially as it would have been if if vaginally born and it doesn't, you know, there's still things, you know, so the babies won't get exposed to, to the, the mother's gut microbes and wouldn't, won't be exposed to the same stresses, pressures and hormones that the baby would have received if, um, if vaginally born. But potentially this could be something um, in the future. Um, so, so it's just the, the start of, of possibly what could be a revolution in the operating theatre. That is that is so true. It's such a fascinating idea, and it's it's a little shocking to think that although this is an experience we all go through and we the world takes it for granted, we really know so little about it. But Tony, I'm sorry we are out of time for the show. Thank you so much for talking, and we will post a link to your book on our website. That was Tony Hartman talking about the book she co-authored with her husband Alex Wakefield. Their 2014 film, Microbirth, about how birth affects a baby's lifelong health, won the Grand Prix Award at the Life Sciences Film Festival in Prague. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show was produced by me, Alejandro Soto, and was engineered by Beth Bennett. Additional contributions by Susan Moran. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Buena Vista Social Club. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett. And I'm Alejandro Soto.